Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at the New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today, as a businessman, Donald Trump didn't just get sued. He took things to court by choice over and over and over. His career in real estate was defined by his legal battles. But what will they mean for his presidency? It's Friday, July 7th. Does anybody know more about litigation than Trump? Okay. I know a lot. I'm like a PhD in litigation, okay? Jonathan Mahler, how many lawsuits has Donald Trump been involved in? I don't have an exact tally for you right now, but well over 4,000. 4,000. 4,000. That's a huge number. Enormous. Why is that? Huge. Um, How is that? How is it? Well, in a certain sense... Donald Trump is lawsuits. That's sort of part of (laughs) Donald Trump's brand. He started suing people really as soon as he started his career and started getting sued and just sort of never stopped. And for him, it's just part of how he operates. And it, it almost doesn't matter whether he wins a lawsuit or loses a lawsuit. It's the act of suing, the act of litigating that seems to sort of serve a a kind of purpose for him. Well, tell me what you mean. Does does he – like suing people? Does he, is there something about Donald Trump that invites the lawsuits against him? I would say both. I think he likes suing people. And I think that he basically sees the law not as something that he needs to sort of be sensitive to, but rather almost as sort of a blunt instrument that he can wield. And so, you know, he hires lawyers who adopt a similar point of view and who, um, who don't tell him, oh, well, this, this is not legal, mm-hmm. that's not legal. They tell him, you know, how he can pull something off. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an unusual view of the law. So you mentioned lawyers. Yeah. I imagine that there are many, many lawyers in Donald Trump's life. Who are these people? The typical Trump lawyer is tough, bare-knuckled, not afraid to fight, not cautious, not careful, but someone who uh, plows ahead, who likes to sort of project an image of toughness, of an unwillingness to compromise. Um, over the years, he's had sort of a handful of lawyers who have been been his sort of trusted litigators. And in that group, I would include sort of first and foremost, the original Roy Cohn, 
the infamous Roy Cohn. Tell me, tell me about him. Why is um, he infamous? Roy Cohn is infamous because he was Senator Joe McCarthy's kind of right-hand man, consigliere, during the communist witch hunts. The Communist Party's most important work is that of espionage in behalf of the Soviet Union, which means that it infiltrates our government, defense plans, every important place possible in order to steal information from us and give it to the Soviet Union. That has been One thing that Trump would do back, uh, back when Cohn was his lawyer is he, he would keep a, a photograph of him in his drawer. And uh, when he was dealing with a contractor or someone who was, was, being, um, was being difficult, mm-hmm. uh, he would pull the photograph of Roy Cohn out of his drawer and sort of brandish it and say, do you want to deal with this guy? And what uh, would that act convey of showing someone Roy it Cohn's was a, photo? It was, it was a form of intimidation. It was a threat. It was a form of, of sort of bullying, you could say. And so, you know, I think you see that, that the way that Roy Cohn went about his business was, was essentially to threaten people and to intimidate people. And he would, he would file lawsuits that were frivolous, clearly frivolous, mm-hmm. uh, but that nevertheless were, um, were threatening in their own way, were menacing mm-hmm. in their way. One of Cohn's favorite legal tactics, says Sullivan, is to make it expensive for the opposition. And with a couple of his clients, Cohn confirms that is the way he operates. What we want to do is just chip away at them little by little and bring the first suit and let them think that's all their trouble's over with. Then we bring the second suit, let them think the same thing and hire more lawyers. And then, uh, see, the way you punish people on the other side is by making them hire lawyers. And I think that Cohn had a view of how the law could be used, again, as sort of a tool or a weapon almost. And Trump saw that, and Trump in many ways uh, um, sort of adopted it, learned it. When people read the papers, I mean, I just hope they understand it. When, well, suing is very difficult nowadays, Larry. I mean, with libelers, you know that, I'm sure, as well as anybody Especially in the world. Especially in your position. You've got to prove malicious intent. Yeah, you really do. And I look at things, and I do watch, and I do look, because I'd love to grab some of these guys. I really would. <laughs> I really want them to make a mistake, because I really would like to do it. Not because I'm a sewer. But I would really love to be able to knock a couple of them out. So how about a blatant lie? After Cohn, the guy who sort of handled a lot of his, his litigation, a guy named Jay Goldberg. Goldberg was sort of a classic New York City uh, white-collar criminal defense lawyer who Trump first brought on to handle his, his first divorce. Mr. Goldberg, can you tell me about the first time that you met Donald Trump? It was uh, holiday following an argument with my wife, and, <laughs> and I went to uh, Greenwich Village because somebody told me it was a beautiful place where a negligee ah. could be purchased. So I went down there, and I was in Greenwich Village when my beeper went off. So I went to a telephone, and uh, the secretary uh, said Donald Trump called and gave me a telephone number. Mm-hmm. I called the telephone number, and Trump said, this is Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I said, yes. He said, are you familiar with my uh, case? I said, yes. I read it in the newspapers. He said, uh, would you be interested in being involved in the case? I said, yes. He said, well, meet me in my office at 3 o'clock. And uh, so I went to his office at 3 o'clock and met him for the first time. So two questions. One, were you able to buy the lingerie? And number two, which case are you talking about? Ivana Trump, the matrimonial uh, split, which uh, hit New York like the Third World War. (laughs) Uh, It was all over the papers. The real 
Life divorce story you're about to hear about is bigger than Dynasty, better than Dallas, and spicier than General Hospital. It has everything from money to intrigue, power to exotic locations. And it stars a couple that up until recently were among New York City's most glamorous. It co-stars a sexy and attractive younger woman. It is, of course, Trump versus Trump. And while you undoubtedly have seen and heard a lot about this... I was uh, very uh, excited. Uh, the, I'm an avid reader of the Law Journal. Right. And the Law Journal reported that one lawyer after another went to his office and offered to uh, handle the case wow. without a fee. And uh, just, for, was, just for the publicity? Yes. In his book, The Art of the Comeback, he writes, his office resembled an emergency room, but instead of patients, there were lawyers crowded around and offering <laughs> their services. And uh, no, I never got to buy the negligee, but I made up with my <laughs> wife because I told her that I had gotten a call from uh, Donald Trump. Got it. Trump found Goldberg because he saw him listed in an article in, in a magazine no longer no longer existent called Seven Days. And it was a, a feature story about the sort of toughest litigators in the city. Mm -hmm. It was called uh, Courtroom Killers. And Goldberg was, was one of the guys mentioned in, in the as story. As a killer. As a killer, as a courtroom killer. Uh, Goldberg had never done a divorce before. How important was it and how explicitly yeah. did Donald Trump say to you that he wanted to win? the case that he wanted to prevail. Donald wanted the agreement upheld. It's as simple as that. There was a very long uh, negotiation. Uh, it was very interesting. It may portend the way he conducts himself. During the negotiation, which started about 7 o'clock, at 10 o'clock, he left. Hmm. He left the meeting. The lawyers were in the room. And where was Trump? He was gone. Nobody knew where he was. Everybody became highly agitated. He came back after two and a half hours. And the people were so agitated and upset and weakened uh, emotionally that they agreed to settle the case. He used the technique from the art of the deal. Was that your recommendation, that he leave, or that was just his own idea? No. No. His own idea. Everybody was horrified. I was very upset myself. Where was he? Where was he? Hmm. How typical is that of Donald Trump, that he does his own thing when it comes to the law? In dealing with him, it never happened. We had so many litigations. He was a soldier following orders. Hmm. So it's just this so one time. From a so-called general. Don't forget, he went to uh, military school. And I'm in command. And the client has to follow. I so you're the, you're the general in this I'm analogy. I'm the general. And Trump is the soldier. He had to listen to me, but not this time. 
he had his own uh, uh, idea as to how the case could be settled. Do you think that Trump seeks, to use your word, generals when he hires lawyers? No. He seeks to be the general himself. But it didn't it never happened with me because uh, I made it crystal clear to him that I was in charge. And I received a letter from him in 2012. And it, it reads as follows. There has never been a lawyer more important to me hmm. than you. It is very important to me that you know that. It was mm -hmm. on his personal stationery. So he had to say to his secretary, get me my personal stationery. <laughs> and he underlined, it is very important to me that you know that. And he wrote that on January 9th, 2012. Mm. And then in April 4th of 2016, he wrote, Rima and Jay, I miss you both. Rima is your wife. Yes. In September 28th of 2015, he wrote, Jay, I love you both. Hmm. Mr. Goldberg, you sound quite affectionate as, as you read these letters. Yes, he's, he's uh, better, certainly, than the Times would have the citizens believe. Hmm. He's a tender person. Uh, let me ask you this. Do you think he loves you for winning, or does he love you for being Jay Goldberg? Well, he did... So many things that were tender. When my wife had breast cancer, he wouldn't allow her to drive two and a half hours to the uh, home in Bridgehampton. He flew her by helicopter. Wow. When my uh, brother-in-law was uh, butchered in a, uh, an operation and was virtually bedridden, even though he had a background as a construction man, he said, well, I'll make you the uh, head of uh, maintenance hmm. at the Plaza Hotel so you can be dressed in a suit and a tie and walk around and earn money and not have to do any uh, uh, manual labor. Hmm. And he, he did these things. So why wouldn't I have a great deal of affection for him? But I don't know that that affection would be reciprocated with a lawyer who lost. Hmm. What you're talking about, it seems, is a level of love and affection that is conditional upon winning. I don't know. No, that's, that's not true because I don't know that. Hmm. You're just not sure. You're just not that. sure that it would exist in the I absence of I don't know that it winning. would exist with, uh, with losses. I doubt it. Hmm. Can I ask you, do you love Trump? Because he, I do. Because he wins. No, I never thought of that. I, uh, I respect him. He, he, <clears throat> he has a philosophy. Don't tell me how it can't be done. Hmm. Tell me how it can be done. And 
he was, uh, after all, he prevailed in every case, so he had to be uh, probably right. What are some examples of Trump's yeah. interactions with the law? Sure, since I mean, taken office right right off the bat. I mean, if you if you look at the travel ban, is is a perfect example. I mean, a, a a different president would make sure that an executive order of that magnitude is carefully carefully vetted, if not written by a team of lawyers. I mean, that is mm-hmm. you know the, the the main issue with the travel ban is is it going to be legal? Is it going to be constitutional? But instead, you know, Trump had had Stephen Miller, a, a, a political advisor, write the ban. It seemingly was not carefully vetted at all. And and that explains uh, why it has been struck down by mm-hmm. by a succession of judges. So that's one example. You know, his his handling of of so many things, I mean, uh, having a private dinner with the director of the FBI when you're president, mm-hmm. who's investigating your campaign. I mean, just, just having that dinner is A lawyer might have told him don't, not, not a good Don't idea. do it. Don't do it. But, but the whole point is that he doesn't want his lawyers to, to keep him out of trouble. That's not what they're there for. Now, that's sort of a striking notion of, of, of what a lawyer is supposed to do because, because of course, most people view their lawyers as, as uh, people they like to keep around precisely for that reason. To just tell to them keep not them, to do exactly. something. To keep, this is, keep your fingers clean. Yes, yes. You can't, th- that's too far. You can't say this. You can't say that. You can't do this. You can't do that. We need to pull back here or else we're mm-hmm. going to create trouble for ourselves. And um, that is not ever what Donald Trump wants to hear from lawyers. And thus, it is never what he does hear from lawyers because he hires lawyers who will never tell him that. Those lawyers tend to not be the kinds of lawyers you see in Washington, and they tend to not be the kinds of lawyers you see politicians and particularly presidents surround themselves with. So it's a very different type of lawyer. Well, has he adjusted his behavior? Not at his all. His approach. <laughs> you're, you're not even. So you're saying his approach to the law hasn't changed at all since becoming president? I think that that's correct. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I don't. I don't see any evidence of it. I mean, I, I really don't. Washington is a place of norms and of rules and a place where those norms and rules are taken very seriously. And Donald Trump does not like to play by the rules and he doesn't like lawyers who tell him he needs to play by the rules. And, you know, frankly, um, you can look at um, so many of the things that Trump has done and the trouble he's gotten himself into through this lens of the law. And um, so many of the, the issues that have come up are, are things that so easily could have been avoided mm-hmm. if he had surrounded himself with with lawyers, if he listened to lawyers, or as you say, if he wanted to avoid them, and if he cared to. I mean, I think that he doesn't care to. But is it is it really about listening to a lawyer, or is it possible that Donald Trump, the developer, coming to Washington was in some ways always going to court these legal issues because in some ways he maybe enjoys the legal conflicts. I, I think that that's that's right, and in some ways, I think that that is a different way of saying what I was saying earlier, which is that Donald Trump sort of is lawsuits. His whole career has been just one lawsuit after another, and and so clearly, uh, if 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 he didn't like engaging in legal combat, he, he wouldn't do it. So for him, it's just part of his vernacular. It's mm-hmm. part of his vocabulary. It's just part of his. His, his daily diet is, is just litigation. I mean, he doesn't mind. It's as though legal combat is sort of his natural state. And so there's no reason to think he's going to stop courting it, frankly. Jonathan Mahler, thank you very much. My pleasure. I could have settled this case numerous times, but I don't want to settle cases when we're right. I don't believe in it. 
And when you start settling cases, you know what happens? Everybody sues you because you get known as a settler. One thing about me, I am not known as a settler. We'll be right back. When times became uncertain, Wampley pivoted their technology platform and committed to help small businesses and self-employed workers get approved for their PPP loan. In just a few months, Wampley has helped one million businesses across America to secure much-needed funding so they can continue to stay open and serve their communities. Wampley helps small businesses thrive. Visit Wampley.com to learn more. Here's what else you need to know today. This continent no longer confronts the specter of communism. But today we're in the West, and we have to say there are dire threats to our security and to our way of life. In a major speech from Poland ahead of the G20 summit, President Trump delivered a dark message to the people of Europe, warning that Western civilization is at risk because of two things, terrorism and big government. You see what's happening out there. They are threats. We will confront them. We will win. But they are threats. It's Trump's second trip to Europe since taking office. And he was careful to reassure American allies there that the U.S. would come to their military defense under the rules of NATO, something he was unwilling to do during his first visit to Europe back in May. To those who would criticize our tough stance, I would point out that the United States has demonstrated not merely with words, but with its actions that we stand firmly behind Article 5, the mutual defense commitment. And the president took a harder-than-usual line against Russia after repeatedly downplaying its attempts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. We urge Russia to cease its destabilizing activities in Ukraine and elsewhere and its support for hostile regimes, including Syria and Iran, and to instead join the community of responsible nations in our fight against common enemies and in defense of civilization itself. Today at the G20 summit in Germany, Trump meets with Russia's President Vladimir Putin in their first face-to-face encounter. The president's national security advisor, General H.R. McMaster, said there is no specific agenda for the meeting. Quote, it's really going to be whatever the president wants to talk about, McMaster said. The Daily is produced by Theo Balcom, Lindsay Garrison, Rachel Quester, and Andy Mills. Lisa Tobin is our executive producer. Samantha Hennig is our editorial director. Our theme music is by Jim Brunberg and Ben Landsberg of Wonderly. Special thanks to Martha Daniel, Peter Sale, and Pedro Rosado. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you Monday. You're still running your business on QuickBooks? More like quicksand. The bigger your company grows, the faster you sync with outdated software. NetSuite by Oracle is the scalable solution to run all key back office operations, no matter how big your company grows. 93% of surveyed organizations increase visibility and control since making the switch from QuickBooks to NetSuite. Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program. Head to netsuite.com daily. 
That's special financing at netsuite.com slash daily. netsuite.com slash daily.